I want to have a uh, question kind of rolling around in your head this morning uh, that we'll kind of touch on throughout the service, or throughout the sermon uh, part anyways. Um, And it's the question of, do you celebrate well? Do you celebrate well? It's not a common question. You probably haven't been asked that very often. Uh, I was actually just asked that question not that long ago, and I thought that was a really good question. And it was because of the kind of the context of the conversation and so on. But it's a question that really frames the text that we're going to look at today in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Now, you probably haven't heard uh, a challenge to celebrate well in a farewell speech if you've had a loved one that's sort of going off to something, let's say it's a child or a grandchild going off to college or just going away for a while. My guess is, is in the top five kind of comments that would not be in there, this would be one of them. Hey, when you go away, make sure that you party really well. My guess that is that that's not part of what parents have said as their kids head out, right? Now, that's putting it a little bit maybe crassly, and it has too many cultural connotations to it, but, but even if you asked the question differently and just said, hey, when you go away, make sure that you take time to celebrate. What about that? We don't say that very often, do we? We don't think that way very often, but yet that is exactly what Moses is saying to the people of Israel as they are standing on the plains of Moab about to enter into the promised land, and he knows all that is in front of these people and all that is going to entail taking possession of this gift that God has given them of entering into the promised land, this promise that is given to the people of Israel. And with all that life will change for them, he's reminding them to celebrate well. He's saying these rituals, these festivals, these celebrations, these feasts that are part of your cultural heritage that God has established among you as a people, make sure you continue to celebrate. Make sure you continue to have festivals, to have feasts together and to celebrate because it's woven right into the very fabric of your culture and you need to continue in that as you enter into the promised land. I think for a lot of us, when we think of, of celebration or we think of feasts, maybe we think of banquets and we think of more obligation than anything else. And yet that is not what they are intended to be and not what Moses is talking about. He's talking about true celebrations of absolute joy for what God is doing, for what God has done, and these kind of celebrations. And it strikes me as I've been reflecting on this recently, just this idea that celebrations are always cultural. Celebrations always have cultural context and they're unique and different and you know that. You've been in other, if you've been in other con- uh, countries and other cultures, you've seen different kinds of celebrations because they're cultural. They have different expressions all the time. We're in a season of weddings with uh, the summer season upon us. Some of us were at a wedding celebration yesterday and we're tired because we celebrated well. But weddings are a time of that, right? Weddings are a time where there's this deep spiritual uh, significance and there are meaningful things that are there in weddings that we do that have spiritual significance. We give rings to each other that symbolize something. We, some people, you know, they, they give love locks and things like that that symbolize things. We share vows with each other that symbolize spiritual things. Some people light a unity candle that symbolizes things. Of late, I've heard that some do a unity volcano, which symbolizes other things. 
But, but there are spirit, like symbols and these, these things that have spiritual meaning that are significant, and we do them at weddings. But in other parts of our lives, too, do we celebrate well? Do you know people in your life that do that well? My guess is, is if you do, they're the people you want to hang out with. They're the people that you want to be around. Maybe there are some families that you think of that, that know how to celebrate well, and they just... They do it right, and you want to just be with them and spend time with them because it's attractive. And God calls us to be celebratory people. When we celebrate in the right ways and we celebrate and give praise to God, the the nations around, and even that's what Moses is saying to the people, he says, when you do this, not only keep the laws of God and obey the word of God, but when you celebrate well, the nations surrounding you will notice, pay attention, and say, what's different about you people? Because people notice when people of God are celebratory people. And so Moses is challenging them in that way. It's also been said that even when it comes to the church, that what you measure, what you pray for, and what you celebrate are the things that you pay attention to and often the things that grow. And these things are important. You measure what you pray for and what you celebrate. What is it that you celebrate in the church? What is it that you celebrate within your family? These are the things that are significant and that get attention and typically grow. So I want to encourage you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16. And we're going to look at this chapter that gives us a picture of three celebrations that Moses is reminding the people to continue in. They are three festivals that he calls them to remember. He calls them to do. Each of them have some uniqueness to them, but there are some similarities in each of the festivals that are talked about here. We're going to walk through each of them here today. So first of all, in Deuteronomy 16, verses 1 to 8, it's about the Passover and this festival of the unleavened bread. Moses says this, In honor of the Lord your God, celebrate the Passover each year in the early spring, in the month of Abib. For that was the month in which the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Your Passover sacrifice may be from either the flock or the herd, and it must be sacrificed to the Lord your God at the designated place of worship, the place he chooses for his name to be honored. Eat it with bread made without yeast. For seven days the bread you eat must be made without yeast, as when you escape from Egypt in such a hurry. Eat this bread, the bread of suffering, so that as long as you live, you will remember the day you departed from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in any house throughout your land for those seven days. And when you sacrifice the Passover lamb on the evening of the first day, do not let any of the meat remain until the next morning. You may not sacrifice the Passover in just any of the towns that the Lord your God is giving you. You must offer it only at the designated place of worship, the place that the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Sacrifice it there in the evening as the sun goes down on the anniversary of your exodus from Egypt. Roast the lamb and eat it in the place the Lord your God chooses. Then you may go back to your tents the next morning. For the next six days, you may not eat any bread made with yeast. On the seventh day, proclaim another holy day in honor of the Lord your God. And no work may be done on that day. So Moses is telling these people that you need to continue with this Passover celebration that originated back there in Egypt when you were people in slavery and at the last of the plagues where the firstborn was killed And the angel of the Lord came over all these households and they were told to take the blood of the lamb and wipe it over the doorposts of their homes and that this angel of death would pass over their homes where this festival started from. 
in the individual homes of the people of Israel. And he says, when you become this people of Israel entering into the promised land, you must continue to celebrate this Passover feast because it symbolizes so much of a God who rescues, a God who saves, a God who saves you as a people and defines you as a people. He says there not to bring bread with yeast in it. And throughout Scripture, yeast is referenced oftentimes as, sometimes it's referenced as evil, as this thing that sort of permeates uh, a person or permeates a community, and it's this, this evil that can spread. That's one of the things that it is often alluded to and spoken of in Scripture. But also here, it also refers to this idea that, that they were to take bread that would not uh, go bad very quickly. They had to hurry in haste and leave Egypt quickly. And so it became this bread of suffering, as it was known for. As they went through all that they went through, as they escaped the slavery and wandered in the wilderness in this very quick exit as a people. But we also see in this text that it says that they are to go to the place that the Lord chooses, and that they are to worship and to celebrate there. I find that interesting. That they are still called to be a responsive people. They are still called to be a people who listen to the voice of God and respond as God calls them to go. So he says, not, don't just worship anywhere. Don't just do this celebration in any setting. But listen, be attentive to God, and God will show you the place to go and to go and worship. So similar to when they were in the, in the desert and wandering the desert, how God would lead them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night, and he would move them. And they were to live as responsive people to the leading of God. And so now in a similar way, in a parallel way, Moses says to them, go and worship at the place that God calls you to. Go and worship as God leads you in these different places, in the, the place that he will set aside. We're called to be responsive people. He also says in verse 8, to keep the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath as part of the celebration. So this original Passover in Egypt was started in individual homes, but now it's becoming this national celebration. Now it's becoming, it's like their Independence Day. It's like July 1st for Canadians or 4th of July for Americans. It's their Independence Day that they celebrate, this Passover feast that happens. And more than any of the other celebrations, it's the one that defines their identity as a people. Probably more than any of the other celebrations, it defines the nature and the character of God as well. Of this God who rescues and a God who provides. Let's keep reading as we look at the second feast that is mentioned here, the Festival of Harvest. It's also known as the Feast of Weeks in some translations, and it's referred to as both in Scripture here. But he says in verse 9, Count off seven weeks from when you first begin to cut the grain at the time of harvest, and then celebrate the Festival of Harvest to honor the Lord your God. Bring him a voluntary offering in proportion to the blessings that you have received from him. This is a time to celebrate before the Lord your God at the designated place of worship that he will choose for his name to be honored. Celebrate with your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites from your towns and the foreigners, orphans and widows who live among you. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, so be careful to obey all of these decrees. You know, this is one that is actually never associated with any specific event in the history of the people of Israel. But it appears to be more of an agricultural festival. And it might be a parallel, and and many of us grew up going to fall suppers. Anybody else know fall suppers or harvest festivals? Those wonderful celebrations in the fall. And this might be something in, in a similar vein to that. And again, there's this language of pilgrimage. 
This language of obedience and responsiveness to God. Go to the place that God will show you to celebrate. And then look at this list of invitees. This wide net that is cast of those who should come and be a part of that. He says, celebrate with your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites from your towns, the foreigners, the orphans, the widows. Go out and gather all those around you and celebrate together in community and have a great feast together to remember, again, what God has done and to celebrate well. And then he continues on in verse 13 to 15, the festival of shelters, or also referred to the feast of booths. You must observe the festival of shelters for seven days at the end of the harvest season, after the grain has been threshed and the grapes have been pressed. This festival will be a happy time of celebrating with your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, foreigners, orphans, and widows from your towns. For seven days, you must celebrate this festival to honor the Lord your God at the place he chooses. For it is he who blesses you with bountiful harvests and gives you success in all your work. And this festival will be a time of great joy for all. This one probably receives the least attention out of the festivals that are listed in Scripture. But it's also the one that was intended to be the happiest of all, the most joyful celebration of all. It says it will be great joy for all. And again, this blessing and success of harvest and the processing of food, the success of your work. And God is reminding the people again, take time to celebrate well. It's the festival of shelters. And they would go out into these booths and and sleep outside again, reminding themselves of being a nomadic people who were taken out of Egypt by God. And these shelters that they would sleep in during this festival had great significance to remind them of the wanderings in the wilderness and the things that they would go through during that, that they had gone through during that time. And so again, this deep spiritual symbolism that it pointed to of what it meant in terms of the things that they did. Again, a pilgrimage festival. Listen to God. Step in obedience to what God says. Step in obedience to the direction that God leads you. Be attentive to his voice. And this wide list, again, of invitees. Throw the net wide. Invite these people in, the foreigners, the strangers, your sons, your daughters, the widows, the orphans. Have them join you in the celebration. This great community celebration. I love these pictures that are given of these celebrations that are done in community. Eugene Peterson in the message, he writes this section this way. He says, rejoice at your festival, you, your son, your daughter, your servant, your maid, the Levite, the foreigner, and the orphans and widows who live in your neighborhood. Celebrate the feast to God, your God, for seven days at the place that God designates. God, your God, has been blessing you in your harvest and in all your work, so make a day of it and really celebrate. Love that language, that challenge, that encouragement. And then in summary, in verse 16 and 17, he says this, Each year, every man in Israel must celebrate these three festivals, the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of harvest, and the festival of shelters. And on each of these occasions, all men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he chooses, but they must not appear before the Lord without a gift for him. And all must give as they are able according to the blessings given to them by the Lord your God. So he's saying, don't come empty-handed. 
When you come to celebrate, don't come empty-handed. Come with a gift. Come ready to give. Come to give in proportion to how God has blessed you. Be a generous people as God is a generous God. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago as we looked at the chapters preceding that where it gave this same language where it talked about the tithe and it talked about being generous to those that are even slaves within your household. And so it says every man on this list, and it's, but then this list goes wider. He says the men of your families, you need to lead your families in this. But then invite your wives, your sons, your daughters, your, all the people around you and come with this great celebration. And it speaks of relationship because it says the Lord your God. These people were identified by their relationship with the living God and you need to celebrate as such. But again, don't come empty-handed. If you remember in Deuteronomy 15, verse 13, if you just turn back a page, it says that when you release a male servant, uh, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Share with him some of the bounty with which the Lord your God has blessed you. So again, this call to a generous life, this call to generous worship. Don't send a slave away empty-handed and don't come to worship empty-handed as well. When God blesses us, we give to God and we give to those in need. Giving has a vertical and a horizontal component all the time. That's why we partner with places like the bridge and other places that Give us opportunity and the privilege and the joy to give and to serve and also to receive in kind as well too in these kind of partnerships. It's this blessing of one another in community that we are called to do. So here's Moses, this pastor and leader to these people who shows great respect for the nation's spiritual heritage and the festivals that would mark these people. Because you see, festivals... And these cultural things, these cultural celebrations are so significant to shaping a people. It shapes who you are. It shapes how you think about God. It shapes how you think about your community. I remember reading an article a while back about North Korea. And what was striking about this article is it talked about, and it was an interview with somebody who had been in one of the top uh, leaders in that country when now was living in the United States. And his assignment and what he was hired for was he was hired to be a poet. And the reason was is because poetry is so powerful to shape the mind of a nation. And his role was to write poetry that spoke so greatly of Kim Jong-il and Kim Jong-un, the father and the son. Because they recognized that culturally, if you have poets who write really good poetry that seeps into the minds of the people, it starts to shape a culture and shape the way people think. And that was his role. And he talked about the power of that. And how he couldn't do that anymore, and he escaped the country. But cultural traditions, cultural festivities, cultural celebrations, even things like this that I was just talking about, cultural poetry, these kinds of things and practices start to shape a nation. And that's why God has instituted these celebrations for the people of Israel, because it shapes their thinking and how they act and worship as a people. The word for feast that is used here in this text is a word that also means rehearsal. And the first three feasts that we looked at today, and there are other feasts that come later, these first three are really pointing ahead to the Messiah, the first coming of Jesus. But the other feasts point to the second coming of Jesus, and they are also a rehearsal, like the Feast of Trumpets, this rehearsal for the second coming of Jesus, and the trumpets that we see about in Revelation. And so in many ways, these feasts are like a rehearsal time 
of this wedding party of the coming of Jesus Christ that they are to celebrate. Very significant. But all three are marked with thanksgiving, with remembering, with renewing their faith, with joyful eating, and to do so in community. Not in isolation, not alone, but with the people of God. Which is why gathering in community is so important. As we look to the New Testament, and if you look through and read the the book of Hebrews, you see how the writer of Hebrews declares how these ancient festivals in the calendar of Israel is now obsolete, or maybe a better way to put it, has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The one exception to that is the Passover, radically transformed now by the coming of Jesus and transformed into the Lord's Supper and why we celebrate together as we did last week of eating the bread and drinking the cup. This Passover celebration that has now been radically transformed to the communion table, the Lord's table. So apart from this, the New Testament doesn't prescribe these festivals anymore, that we are to observe those. But it doesn't mean that we are not to bother with commemorative events, that we are not to bother with celebratory events, because that is referenced many times in the New Testament and throughout Scripture to be a celebrating, rejoicing, worshiping people, to remember well. We do that naturally in some seasons of the year, like Christmas, and Easter, and we celebrate during those times, maybe to a lesser extent, at Lent and Advent and Pentecost, and other events and and markers of the Christian calendar. And even when we come together weekly, like we do this morning, to worship, it's a celebration of worshiping the one true God, to do so in community. So one of the questions I have is, as we come to worship on a weekly basis, do we come empty-handed? Do we come empty-hearted? Or do we come ready to worship? Ready to offer ourselves to this community of worship and with joy and to contribute to the joy and the celebration of the living God and to celebrate and worship in that way. In Matthew 22, Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom of heaven being like a great wedding feast prepared for by a father for his son. And he tells in this parable how the people that the feast was intended for rejected the invitation. And he's speaking of the people of Israel. And how then the invitation is thrown wide open and it says, go out into the alleyways and invite all of these different people. Invite all of the Gentiles now. Bring them into the kingdom of God. And it gives this parallel picture of the kingdom of heaven like a celebration, like a great wedding feast that we are to celebrate. These feasts that are there in Deuteronomy were extended celebrations, like seven days. I mean, they're celebrations unlike things that most of us have ever been a part of. And so again, I want us to think and reflect on this question. Do we celebrate well? Remember a number of years ago, about 11 years ago now, we had our 40th anniversary celebration as a church. And we did a number of significant things and There was different markers and things that we did at that time. And then last November, or actually last year, was our 50th anniversary as a church. And we did a number of different events and things that marked that as well, including on November 2nd, where we did an evening celebration here in the sanctuary. And one of the things that we did was that we told stories. And we had people write in and reflect on the things that they were thankful for. Because just like in these feasts, it says, be thankful, give God praise to God, and, and give thanks to God for what he has done. 
And if you go onto our website, it's been there for months, you can go and see under the 50th anniversary tab and you can see the uh, things that were written and all these different praise items of the things that people are thankful for God, of what God has been doing in their lives through the church. And then there's another section there that says, what are scripture promises and just words of encouragement and affirmation. And there's a whole list of them there that you can go and read. I was looking through those again the other day as I was thinking about celebration and thankfulness. And I want to read just a few of those that people wrote that are there on the website. It said, God used Forest Grove to protect and nurture me through my teenage years and gave me many opportunities to serve. And I praise God for that. Another person says, this church has become a stream of living water for our family in every respect. Our gifts have been nourished, our hearts have been tended to, and our desire for community has been satisfied. Another person says, I am so thankful for truly being a church family to me and to me and for me, providing a safe place to heal and to learn and to grow and share, for teaching good biblical truth, for providing opportunities when the Spirit wanted to stretch my comfort zone, and for loving me through the easy times and the hard times. I'd encourage you to go back onto that website and reflect and give thanks for what God has done. So does our faith include a theology of celebration? Do we do that in community? I really think we have much to learn and grow in this area. How might we do that better this summer? I want to encourage you to think creatively this summer of how you might do that differently this summer. And even in this text where it talks about inviting the strangers and the foreigners and the widows and the orphans and, and gather together and celebrate and remember. I remember on December 14th, 2008, a number of years ago now, and for many of you who remember that Sunday, we canceled our Sunday morning service, which was really unsettling for some people, but it was really good. For those who took advantage of it, we said, well, you know what, we want you to be community and, and to invite your neighbors and to do something different on this morning. And I remember when Lisa and I, we invited three of our neighbors who we sort of knew at a great distance, but we had them over to our place for a Sunday morning brunch. And they're like, aren't you supposed to be in church? You're a pastor. <laughs> and we said, yeah, but not today. We're in church. We're here. And I remember just at the beginning of that brunch, just saying, hey, can we just pray a blessing over you and your families? And none of them are church-going families. And they said, that'd be great. And we did, just to bless them, to pray with them, and then to eat a meal together. We spent like three to four hours together and had the most wonderful day together with our neighbors. Maybe this summer, God is encouraging you and me and us to just step out a little bit more and get to know our neighbors in some way. Maybe, maybe that's something that we can do. And I know some of you are really good at this. I've talked to some folks who have block parties every year, every summer. And even their neighborhood, they look forward to it on their cul-de-sac or their block or whatever the case may be. But, but here's a challenge I want to give to you. Go, go home and take a piece of paper and, and draw nine boxes. And I think I have a picture of it up here. It doesn't have to be in blue. You can do it. In what, it and that house doesn't have to be quite that nice. But your house is in the middle. Your condo, your house, where you live, whatever it is, that's you in the middle. Now just sort of take note of the eight homes and families or people that are the closest around you. And my test is, is can you actually write down the names of the eight people that live the most immediately around you? And secondly, could you write one or two significant things about their families that you actually know about them? That's my challenge for us this summer. Might we get to know actually the people around us? And maybe at the end of the summer that 
we would actually, first of all, just write this down and actually figure out what their names are and spend a few months doing that and who their kids are or whatever. Find one thing about them that you could maybe even pray for them for. They don't even have to know about it. Just to pray and to bless these families around us. And then maybe by the end of the summer that you would just invite them to a celebration. Just have a barbecue with them. Say, hey, why don't you come over and let's just get together and celebrate. Maybe that's a way that we can express that this summer. One of the things that we're tentatively planning for right now, just give you a heads up, on September 6th, we're looking at doing a combined uh, outdoor service downtown, maybe at the Kinsman Park, with Broadway and Attridge together. And that would be a, a different setting, again, and maybe it's a place to invite some of those neighbors that you get to know this summer. That you might be praying and, and thinking about them. And, and don't view them as projects. Just love them as people. Just get to know their names. Get to know their families. Get to know anything about them and just be with them and eat a meal together. This is part of what God calls his people to do. This is part of who God is. A God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A God even in his own nature is community. Who calls us to be people of community who celebrate well. I want to invite the worship team up as I conclude in prayer. But I would encourage each one of us to be thinking deeply about what are some of the things that we can celebrate differently. How can we bring spiritual significance into some of those things that we do? Even some of the family traditions or traditions with our workers, co-workers, or whatever the case may be that could bring deeper meaning to some of our lives in a way that glorifies God and connects us in community. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the text that we looked at today and the truths of who you are as a God who longs for community and how what you did on the cross through Jesus Christ reconciled us to you that we might be in a relationship with the living God, free of our sin, free of our baggage, free of the barriers and the things that keep us from you. And Lord, we just confess that we are a people who don't often celebrate well. Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us to have traditions within our families and our different contexts that would point people to you and that would help us to remember and give thanks for who you are and what you have done. And so, Lord, may you teach us, may you grow us, may you stretch us in our worship. In this way we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.